you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's short track racing is where all racing started. I mean, it's even the NASCAR world started short track racing back in the day. And we just want to tell a great story. to, And to, not a story. We want to tell factual guidelines. Hear the unfiltered, honest stories of how grassroots racers have and can achieve their racing goals. Fast car to NASCAR. Hosted by NASCAR driver Mike Wallace. All right, here we go. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull them belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. Today's guest, very impressive resume, mechanical engineering degree from Our very own University of North Carolina at Charlotte, graduating in 2005, went to work for Chip Ganassi Racing, where he won the Daytona 500, Brickyard 400, and Charlotte Fall Night Race as lead race engineer for the number one car of Jamie McMurray and current crew chief on the number eight car for Tyler Reddick and Richard Childress Racing. He's Randall Burnett. Say hi to Mike Wallace. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Randy. Everybody else calls you Randall. Randy. But um, to let everybody know, Randall and I go way back, back back when he was racing go-karts. He was one of the best go-kart racers in, in the St. Louis, Metro, Missouri, or he was he was bad to the bone, Jeff. I was the best go-kart racer in my yard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Randy, it's a... Thanks for coming on. And as I just mentioned, we've known each other for a long time. We've lived down here and kind of lost touch with each other. It's really weird, you know, and then we watch. But, man, what a successful career you've had. Let's – I kind of preluded. You used to race go-karts back in Missouri. Back in that time, you were a young boy. What were you, 10 years old back then? Yeah, I think think you've known me since I was probably about 8 or 9, I think, was probably the first time, you know, that I'd met you. And, you know, you and my dad were – we're friends at that point, and we go way back. 
Yeah, so we start back when you're eight years old. You, it's yourself. You got a brother, Jeremy, your dad, and you guys uh, are hard on on the go kart trail, right? Oh yeah. So, uh, you know, my dad, uh, he grew up, you know, racing late models and stuff like that, and got me into go kart racing at a, a really young age. Um, you know, I think I started racing about six or seven, and uh, we started uh, just kind of running all over St. Louis and. Um, got really into it and, uh, my dad ended up, you know, starting a, a parts house there for the St. Louis Karting Association and, uh, kind of helped grow that car club. And we just, uh, took it everywhere and ended up going and running, you know, national events and things like that as I, as I got older, and, uh, really, really good life experience. Yeah. So we, we go through the, the go-kart world in the Missouri, St. Louis area, however you want to say it, the Midwest and then lo and behold you your dad and your brother end up down here in north carolina how did that happen well so, it's a good story we um you know i grew up like i said racing and in race carts so heck i was basically graduating from uh, high school in uh, fenton there and um you know my parents and they ended up getting split up uh, my mom was very involved in cart racing as well she she worked at uh margay race products for years um which is based there in st louis as well so uh they end up they end up going their separate ways and uh my dad just kind of was like I, I need a change of pace i'm i'm moving to north carolina and uh he's like you can go or you can stay it's, it's kind of in your hands and i was you know going to community college at the time and i was like heck i you know i i need something different too so i ended up moving down here with him so, so you got down here, and uh, you moved in, you got settled, and then, and then you continued your driving career, correctly, right? Wrong? Yeah, yeah. So uh, so I'd been out of it for a little while. I kind of took a little hiatus from, from racing carts, and uh, when we moved down here, my dad worked for uh, Blythe Construction Company in, in building roads, and um, that's kind of what got him down here. They, they, he came down there and met with them, and he was project super superintendent on a uh, for road building companies, things like that. So um, he moved down here and got to know uh, a great group of guys from Robbinsville, North Carolina, um, Wes, Wesley Trammell and Benny Orr, and they owned a uh, land clearing company. And so we got to be really good friends with them. Come to find out, they were they're related to the late Rodney Orr. Um, and, uh, so they've always had their roots in racing as well and end up kind of putting a deal together and we started racing trucks with them over at, uh, Concord, uh, about 2001. So, and then kind of just grew from there, you know? So you, I know you're, you're always been very fast and everything you ever drove that I know of, you know, go-karts, he was the star, you know, then he, uh, he did these truck races and short races down here and he ran really well. Where did the point come along that you said, eh, maybe this driving deal is not for me. I'm, I'm, I'm smarter. I should go work on these things. And well, I, or was that a, like a have to or a want to situation? No, I, you know, I, you know, racing deal is really expensive. If you don't have, don't have the backing you need, it's, it's hard to go where you need to go. And, um, you know, Wes and Benny, they, they put a lot into my driving for me and, and got me going. And Hey, can I stop you there, there for a second? Yeah. So yeah. Wes and Benny, now this is a weird story. This is how 
they call this six degrees of separation, Jeff. Was Wes or a guy by the name of Richie Trammell part of your deal? Yes, Richie is Wes's son. Small world, Jeff. I'm having some property cleared off a year ago, having the land clearing guys come by, you know, cut the trees down. Right. And here's Richie Trammell. We get talking about Randy Burnett. Okay. It's like, how do we know that? <laughs> so it all time. Okay, that's that ties that together. Yeah, small world. So, so the Trammell, uh, Trammell and Orr, they helped you with the late model. You're doing that. You decide to get out of that because kind of money deal. Then, then where do we start at from there? Well, you know, I kind of got, um, you want to go here now? Yeah, we can go wherever you want to go. Okay. So, um, I get confused. So you got to stick with me. (laughs) And when I do really stupid stuff, Jeff looks over at me and starts laughing. And I see Wayne looking through the glass going, where are you going now? Oh, hell, Mike saw (laughs) something shiny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I'm not an expert at this in any way. So if we jump around, it will be. Well, I'll go back and kind of start with the where we got to with the late model stuff. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so Wes and Benny were helping me uh, sponsoring my truck, and, and we moved into the late models. Um, you know, they stuck with me all through that. And uh, my dad had gotten, you know, pretty sick. He had got cancer, and um, I was finishing up at college, and, you know, things were just kind of going that direction, and, and started over at Ganassi, and, was still racing with him, you know, me and, me and my dad, like, traveled all over racing together, and uh, we, we were best friends, you know, we, we kind of grew up, you know, from the time I was eight, we were running up to, up and down the road together, you know, racing go-karts and, and on the stock cars and everything else, so um, he got really sick and ended up passing away in 2009, and um, the guys at Ganassi, had, you know, I'd been working there four or five years, and they'd kind of been encouraging me, hey, you know, we we want you to be a lead race engineer over here one of these days. Like, so, you know, kind of after my dad passed away, I kind of, you know, kind of got to the, got to the point of, man, I, I probably need to be a grown up and, and, and go start chasing my career down. And, and that's kind of where I got to with, with hanging it up, driving and working on them more. So, so I mentioned at the start of this, we were going to kind of jump around different than trying to keep a little bit of organization to things, but, Tell now date back. It says you worked part time for Kenny Schrader. What was that about? Uh, what what was that like? <laughs> Schrader's a, a cool, crazy dude. Yeah. So you know he, him being from Fenton, um, you know the small world of everybody in in the stock car racing community in Fenton. Um, you know I, I grew up racing with uh, Joey Walsh, who you know uh, his father Pat. Uh, is married to Kenny's sister, Sherry. So, um, you know, I've known them since probably about as long as I've known you, Mike, and mm-hmm. um, kind of got into, got in when I got down here, and Joey and, and you and your family were pretty much the only people I knew when, when me and my dad moved down here. So he got me, uh, he got me involved over there. I kind of started hanging out over happy hour on Monday nights over at Trader Shop, and um, he so, see, no, Je- Jeff, do you see that? Hear what he said? There's happy hour. Happy at hour at Schrader. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I won a race for Schrader. I, I drove the Arca car at Daytona, yeah. and I won the race for him. And he looked at me after the race and goes, "See what that liquor does this every time." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, I'm so, sorry. Yeah, so of, happy hour. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, lots of good life experience come from Schrader's shop over there. Um, 
you know, so I, I was kind of fortunate. Joey kind of took me under his wing over there and, and let me come help him on the dirt cars and, and got to help him, you know, a little bit on the ARCA cars and just, just kind of learning, you know what I mean? Um, just kind of hanging out at the shop between going to college and, and working with my dad on the road construction stuff. Um, got to hang out over there, got to travel with him a little bit, go dirt racing. Anytime you get to go do that with, with Schrader, that's always an experience. So, um, just learned a, learned a whole lot and was really fortunate to, to have Joey over there and, and him kind of take me under my wing and, and, uh, you know, get me going the right down, down the right path there. Okay. So I'm going to fast forward, back up, whatever. We, Jeff, help me stay directed here. So <laughs> did you not take your medication today? No, I didn't take it. <laughs> so we have introduced you as Randall Burnett and everybody that I know, refers to randall i even heard tyler reddick during the race the other night go randall something and yeah. it's like no man that's a little randy that's, that's a, <laughs> so how did you become from or go from the kid we knew as randy to randall <laughs> so, so this is a great story honestly we uh so i moved down here and, and like you said everybody's known me as randy i've been randy all my life um, you know, and I finished up college, uh, and the guys over at the Nancy, they, they interviewed me to come over there. Well, uh, Alistair, who's now a really good friend of mine, Alistair Fordham, um, he was kind of one of the lead engineers, uh, head engineers over at Canassi at the time. Well, he's from England. And so I come in my, my resume, my, it says Randy Burnett, this, that, and the other. Well, he's kind of like, he's kind of giggling through our interview. And I'm like, and he's like, I'm like, okay. And he's like, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't take you serious calling you Randy. I got to call you Randall or something. And I'm like, why is that? He said, well, have you ever seen Austin Powers? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, I'm from England, so Randy means something completely oh, different to me. Right. <laughs> so what, what does it mean, Jeff? <laughs> it means horny. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very Randy today. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Are you horny, baby? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, now so, I'm getting a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, so now you're kind of piecing it together. Yeah. So at the time, I just want a job, right? And I'm like, I don't care, I don't care what you call me at this point. I Job. And my and my real name is Randall and my birth certificate is Randall, but everybody like since I was born I've been called Randy. So so I end up going through the interview and he just he starts calling me Randall, takes me around the shop, introduces me to everybody in the shop as Randall, and I d I don't have a like I'm not gonna correct him because I'm trying to get a job from this guy. So like I'm just yeah, just call me Randall, call me whatever. Just you know, <laughs> hire me, I just wanna work here, like <laughs> That, that is so cool. That's such a good story because I never knew that Austin Power part. So that makes it so much fun because yeah, I oh can yeah. see a guy walking up to you and go, Hi, oh, I'm Randy. Hey, I'm, I'm Randy. Hey, really? Horny, how about getting the car set up? That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so that's how my name kind of got switched back to my like original birth name. <laughs> And I never, I never bothered correcting them when I got, the, my, I got my job there. Everybody was, it was Randall this, Randall that. They turned in my, my, you know, my NASCAR license information. It had Randall, in, and I just never corrected. I was just like, whatever. I just, just go with it. <laughs> just go with it. <laughs> well, uh, the, 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 th thanks for explaining it. Now it all makes sense in a good way. And yeah, I still get, I still get a lot of trouble from you know people that you know, knew me before the whole Randall phase. 
is, you know, I can't call you Randy. You're Randy. Like, I've known you all my life. You know, you're Randy. I'm like, well, and I, a lot of times I've had to stop and explain that story, and usually people get a pretty good kick out of that. That's a good story, man. That is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. We got plenty more to come, too. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. All right, welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. Today's guest, Randall Burnett. Or it could be called another episode of Shagging with Randy. (laughs) And once again, I give you Mike Wallace. So you all have to listen. I should have seen our pre-break show. So see what Shagging with Randy's all about. But... uh... Randall, so your life uh, when you got to Chip Ganassi Racing, you you went through school, got your education, and you're there as a team engineer, or data engineer. Tell me, tell everybody, what does that mean? What do, what do you do on a race team when you're a lead engineer, data engineer, or is there a difference in them? Well, yeah, there's definitely a difference between the data engineer and, and uh, lead engineer. So I came I came to Ganassi at the end of 2005. Um, that was still one the cup series and the Xfinity series even was doing a lot of testing throughout the weeks and, um, there was no real restrictions on it. So, you know, those guys would go race on the cup side on Sundays and, and come back and go to Kentucky or, you know, wherever and, and go test, you know, gateways, another one they used to go to all the time, but, um, we'd go test like Tuesday, Wednesdays all the time. So they had their full-time lead engineer that would go to the races on the weekend and then, I would go testing with them during the week and and run the data acquisition system and kind of help them with all that side of it on the computer side. So in today's world or from that time back in the, you know, 2012 era, 2010 era, engineering, you know, I I come up and started driving in a deal where you had a piece of paper and you had a a butt feel of how the car would feel and you talk to your crew. Where where does that data, where does – computer racing come into racing today i mean i know it started back then but is it a vital point of it or is it just somebody's expanding on does it make the race car run faster tell tell me about it well i definitely think it's um perfected on how people go about doing the setups on their car and, and try to come up with new ideas things like that you know um like you said you used to go by the seat of your pants kind of and, and get some good ideas and um, work on it, go practice it, do whatever. And, um, you know, through data and, and gathering, you know, just suspension travels and forces through the shocks and just all kinds of different things that you can collect data on um, through the race car and, and take it and then build a simulation program, you know, based around that so you can accurately predict the changes that you're going to make to the car. You know, it's really accelerated over the last, you know, probably 15, even 20 years, you know, um, accelerated to where we get, where we're at now, even with the cup series of, you know, being, being to where you're fighting for thousandths of an inch, um, everywhere, whether it be on your travels or your, your body measurements or anything like that. It's, it's really, uh, taking it kind of to the next level, um, of detail, I would say. Gotcha. So as a lead engineer, in 2010, you, you were working with Jamie McMurray, and I, yeah. I just need to know how this feeling felt. L- listen to these wins, everybody. 
with Jamie Murray in 2010, he won the Daytona 500, the Brickyard 400, and the Fall Night Race at Charlotte. Man, what does that feel like? I mean, that's that, that can't get much better. Well, no, I mean, it, I, I was very fortunate there. You know, Kevin Mannion, uh, Bono was the crew chief on that car. And um, actually, Jamie grew up racing go-karts too, raced for Margay, which my mom had worked for. So I'd, you know, known him, knew his dad, knew, knew his family. You know, we weren't extremely close or anything like that, but uh, knew of each other. And, um, you know, I got the opportunity to go do that. Uh, hey, you ready for an old fact? Let me interrupt again. I'm good at interrupting. Yeah. <laughs> your show. My show. <laughs> Jamie McMurray and myself drove for the same family back in Lebanon, Missouri. I drove for Brad yep. Willard and won the regional championship, and Jamie McMurray drove for Bill Willard in some races. What do yep. you think about that? <laughs> Another That's Missouri cool. connection. Had a go. lot of good talent. Yes, sir. All right. I'm sorry to interrupt. Not really. No, but... you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so getting back to those wins, I mean, that was... Yeah, so I I got lucky, you know, to come out and I'd, I'd done some substitute race engineering and been to the track and done some of that, but my first first full time role was is race engineer on a on a cup car. You know, it's pretty intimidating, especially when you go to work for a guy like Bono, who's had years of success and um, you know, just a, kind of a gruff guy. Like, you know, really tells you what's on his mind, you know, and you you kind of kind of intimidating right so we uh we went to daytona and, and mcmurray's always been a phenomenal plate racer and um won that won that race that was the that was the daytona 500 before they paved it where the they they had the big hole in turn one and two and they had to go put bondo down in it so we could finish the race so hmm. um that was a, a really interesting race but uh it was it was an it was an incredible feeling to to go there and, and win the Daytona 500. I probably should have retired after that just because, you know, it's it's hard to top something like that. Yeah, w without a doubt. Now, the, the question that everybody that I know, like this is now the most sought-after humor question, everything else in the world, and you got to tell me where you were at at Chip Ganassi Racing when Juan Montoya hit the jet dryer. Uh, I was actually on the pit box for the one car. I was there, and uh, <laughs> Tell yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it, it's not funny in any way whatsoever. But you know, there's so many memes out there about it and all those things. What did the crew? What what was the reaction from the team at that point when that happened? Well, we had already been there. This was Monday night at like eleven o'clock because we had already gotten rained out the day before. And it, it's closing in on almost Tuesday morning at this point, and everybody's just tired and ready to go home, and the race is dragging on from all the weather. And um, Jamie comes by the front straightaway and says, "What's going on?" Uh, and we're like, "What?" And our spotter got on radio and said, "Montoya just hit the jet dryer." <laughs> and we we turn on the TV, and all you see is just the flames, like blowing off a of turn three it was amazing yeah so so as the the crew went on because that's again and for everybody not understanding what happened juan montoya come down the back straightaway it's under caution jet dryers are up in turn three blowing something off and all of a sudden something breaks on his car and the car just veers dead right Oh, is that what happened? I thought he was texting or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's where the new texting in Florida law comes from, right? 
but uh, then it made just a horrific impact. And so there's, again, there's nothing funny about it, but it just that you say you see everything in racing. Yeah. Nobody ever seen anybody hit the jet dryer yet. That was <laughs> so, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was certainly interesting for yeah. sure. I don't, I don't think we'll seen anything quite like that yeah. since. So did I uh, read right or understand you, you had the pleasure of working with Kyle Larson for a while? I did. Um, I worked with um, I worked with Jamie till about 2013 on his car. Was was race engineer for a while, and then uh, actually took over the the lead mechanic or car chief job for a year. Um, and then after that year, I switched back to the switched over to the 42 car, and was uh, Juan's engineer for his last year. And then that's when Kyle Larson came over to uh, Ganassi in 2014. So I uh, had, the, had the privilege of working with him for a couple of years before moving on from there. So I guess that you're, what you're saying is you can take that that uh, working with Kyle and you taught him everything he knows <laughs> and uh, taught him how to win races, I assume, right? I don't know if I taught him everything I know, everything he knows. He, uh, he knew quite a bit before he got to us. He's uh, That kid's an incredible talent, man. That's great. But so you leave Ganassi and uh, how did what what creates someone to want to leave one team and go to the other team? You, you're now going to go to JTG. What I mean, you get tired of each other, don't like each other. They make a change. Are the owners look at you go nothing to it, man. It's just business. Jeff and I talk right. about that. That's how you sure get fired. You know, it's, it's not personal. Just yeah. just business. <laughs> but how do you end up over JTG or what prompts that? Well, you know, I'd, I'd been at Ganassi for, you know, since I graduated college, you know, so I'd been there 10 years or so and um, can kind of got myself pigeonholed into the race engineer, uh, you know, the race engineer position. They had had some Xfinity cars come and go, and I'd always showed an interest in maybe, you know, potentially crew chief in one of them, but they wanted to keep me on as race engineer and kind of, I kind of just kind of got held into that position you know and, and felt like a few opportunities had got by me and um so i got the call from jtg and they were interested in having me come over and and possibly crew chief for aj on the for the 47 car on the cup side and at that point in my life i was i was ready to make a move i, I wanted to try that option you know and explore crew chiefing and um fortunately they gave me the opportunity to do it and, and ended up leaving uh, Ganassi at the end of 2015 to, to head over there. So the crew chief position on a race team, other than the driver, is probably the most well-known position. I mean, that's what, you know, you got a crew chief, you got a driver. That's the, that's the big deal. What's a, what's an actual cup crew chief do? What is, once you go there to become the crew chief, I mean, you're, you're not like out working on the car all the time or anything, are you? And or what are you doing with people there? No, you, I mean, you kind of, it's just you're kind of managing everybody at that point, right? Everybody's got their dedicated role on the car, whether it be the engineer or the, the car chief or the front end mechanic or underneath mechanic or whatever, everybody's kind of got their role. So as a crew chief, you kind of, during the week, you kind of pull all that together and, and work with your engineers and say, Hey, these are what shocks and springs and, you know, whatever we're going to run with the car. And then you go down and you talk to your, to your car chief and say, Hey, this is, what kind of brake cooling I want to run, or this is what I want done with the body of the car and like how we want to run this or, um, 
you know, and work with your other mechanics and, and make sure you get all the details into the, say the body or the suspension or anything, you know, that goes on, um, with the car, you kind of just work, you just kind of delegate it all. And that, and that's kind of what, what it is throughout the week is going into meetings, learning about new, you know, aerodynamic bits or, or talking about, you know, how to improve pit crews or whatever it is. And, kind of just go from meeting to meeting to meeting every week and, and between there kind of working with your guys that are on your team and, and delegating and um, just making sure everything's getting done the way you want. So I got this question about arrow. You, you just made a comment, I believe the way you said arrow bits or pieces or something. And I get this ad, this question now, since Jeff Kent and I are big radio stars on our own podcast. Right. Yes. <laughs> so what would be considered an arrow bit or a narrow piece. And the, 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 the here's how the question's poised to me. I thought NASCAR had a body rule and got this laser thing they go through. What can anybody learn on arrow? So what would that be? Well, so, yeah, now they've got this Hawkeye machine and they hold you to a hundred and fifty thousandths tolerance. So you got plus 150 or minus 150 from what they call a gold surface, which is basically what the, chevy or ford or toyota or whatever they submit as their gold surface car so everybody has to fit within that 150 thou tolerance on the entire overbody of the car we have lots of different things underneath the car um that we tune on like even from the side skirts on the outside of the car to we have a, a big pan that goes underneath the radiator it's called the radiator pan you can change the angle of it to change the aero balance of the car, whether move it forward or back. Um, there's lots of little details of work of how you set up your suspension and, and try to try to make everything underneath the car as neat and as tidy as possible. So, um, you know, a lot of the aero bits that we talk about is, is more about underbody stuff now than, you know, the overbody because you're, you're held to such a tight tolerance on the actual body of the car that, now you got to work in different areas, and we work a lot on underneath side of the car now. Hey, Randall, how how did people, so back in the day before all this computer technology came about, how, how were these decisions made back then? Just, again, by the seat of your pants, by the way the car feels, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the guys, and it's been around for a while. There's, like, been so many smart people that's uh, pushed this sport to – to the rule book that it is now and to how tight these tolerances are and people that's taken, you know, liberties and, and just trying to learn things kind of through, you know, redneck engineering or whatever it is. Um, you know, they've taken a lot of liberties and they learned a lot over the years. And then the kind of the inception of the wind tunnels, like taking them to, you know, Lockheed and other places um, when they first started going on it and, and started blowing these cars in the tunnel. And then it's kind of expanded to, now we have two wind tunnels here within 30 minutes of the shop that, that all the race teams uh, use around here. So, um, you know, it's just kind of got to that, you know, like the aerodynamics part of it's always been there. It's just uh, a lot more refined now. Yeah, you get more, uh, just a greater source of information. That's all. Good breaking point right there. We're talking to Randall Burnett, current crew chief on the number eight car for Tyler Reddick at Richard Childress Racing. Uh, you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network and presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media.
All right, welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Today's guest, Randall Burnett. Very impressive resume. Chip Ganassi Racing, JTG Racing, RCR, current crew chief on the number eight car for Tyler Reddick with Richard Childress Racing. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Randall, you know, we've, uh, we've learned a little bit about aerial stuff that I didn't know. I appreciate you letting us know that. So tell me a little bit more, more about JTG. I mentioned in your Chip Ganassi deal, you work with Kyle Larson. He's winning races now. You appeared you work with A.J. Allmendinger. He's winning races now. So apparently you guys taught them a lot or helped teach those guys a lot along the way. Well, apparently they all started winning races after working with me. So maybe I was holding them back. I don't know. <laughs> I would say um, they were storing information. Yeah, maybe that's that's what I like to say. I like to say that too. That that makes it sound better for sure. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I got a unique opportunity to to leave Ganassi and go crew chief for AJ on the forty seven car, and um, it's kind of cool getting to getting to him. He, you know, another another guy with an extreme amount of karting background growing up as a kid, and um, so we had a, a pretty good common ground to start with when uh, I started working with him over there, and. Uh, crew chief for him the entire year of 2016 and in part of 17 and uh, had some pretty good success for you know a team that was a little bit smaller uh still kind of building their operation up and, and trying to get going good on the cup side and, um you know had some really good runs um finished i think 19th or 20th in the points that year which is uh decent for you know a, a kind of a underfunded not necessarily underfunded but you know lack of resources style team so um that was that was really good experience for me um to kind of get my feet wet and and really understand what it what it takes to go from a lead race engineer to to crew chief and and all the hurdles and everything that you see as a crew chief randy as a crew chief and i hear this from a multitude of teams there's a variety of people that use a word you just used and it doesn't totally rely on money but they say we don't have the resources what, what does that mean? What I mean, if you got money and you can buy, what resources don't you have or aren't you getting shared from someone else? What, what's that all about? Well, so, you know, like the, like the Hendricks and the Gibbs and those teams that's been around for years, they've been working on developing their simulation program and, and have years and years of notebooks and people that's that's been through the whole process, you know, building all that, and they continue to build on that. And, uh, you know, having a refined system like that versus a team that's, you know, we, we had good funding at JTG. Tad and, and them did a great job with, with Kroger and, and a lot of different sponsors that come you know, on that car. And, you know, we had the, the resources and just didn't, or the funding, just didn't know how to apply the resources to, to take that money and apply it to where it needed to be applied. And, um, we kind of grew that a little bit and, and obviously they've gotten better as it, you know, even since I've left there and, um, you know, just getting about getting the right people in place and the right experience and, and getting people working in the right areas on the cars. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the resources I'm talking about, you know, is having a good SIM program, being able to go to the wind tunnel and get gather good, accurate wind tunnel data uh, when you go to the racetrack and on the very limited times you get to go test, gathering good data and being able to analyze that and working that back through your sim to make it more accurate. Well, Randy, we just got a call that Jeff's going to ask you about to come across the uh, our internet here. 
Here you go, Randall. Here's a question for you. With all the development, yeah. with all the development, the computer technology and whatnot we were just talking about, how much have they had to throw out with the Gen 7 coming next season? Uh, pretty much all of it. Nice. <laughs> so so you're, uh, start, you're starting a new career next year. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can take all these three-ring binders that everybody has with all their notes and all the setups, and you could pretty much, you know, have a pretty big bonfire with all that. Hmm. Well, all right. Well, I'm going to jump back to, to we're going to come back to that Gen 7 car in a minute here. So you, you've done the program over JTG. You're learning how to be a crew chief or have learned how to become a crew chief. And then I'm assuming, because I've, I like I've only had it happen to me once in my life, but you get a call from Rich, somebody at Richard Childress Racing. W what was that moment like? Or had that been in the works for a long time, or did it just come out of the clear blue? No, we – um. so in 2016, we had a pretty good year with AJ, and, and uh, 2017 definitely didn't start off the way we wanted it to. And, um you know, they had expanded, JTG had expanded to a two-car team at that point, and um, we were a little thin on people, and just, we just weren't running good, and um, Ernie Cope was uh, kind of the general manager over there, and, um, you know, we, we talked about it, and he's like, man, I think we need to do something different, kind of change it up, so I'd come off the road and, and let him kind of take over that deal, or he kind of took that deal over, and um, I got a call from uh, Eric Warren at Richard Childress Racing and said they were looking for somebody to uh, come crew chief one of their Xfinity cars. And uh, I, I couldn't pass that opportunity up. You know, Richard Childress obviously been in this sport and an icon in this sport. So I um, was really flattered that they called me and, and wanted me to come be part of their program. So I ended up leaving JTG about uh, May of 2017, I guess, and, and came over here and took over crew chief and for the uh, number two Xfinity car. Looking at the finish results since that time, it looks like you adapted pretty quickly to the RC, <laughs> RCR program there. Yeah, we, uh, the Xfinity program over here was really strong when I got here and, um, you know, had some really great people. I had, uh, Danny Stockman was working over here. He, he's a great guy, really one of the, one of the hardest racers I know. And, um, Nick Harrison was here, you know. Um, How about Nick? Shane Wilson. I don't mean to interrupt. Nick and I worked together. Uh, Nick's no longer with us, Jeff. Mm -hmm. And I worked with Nick down at uh, James Finch in uh, Phoenix Racing with Mark Reno. And, man, what a cool, funny guy, but smart and hard worker he was. How about your experience yeah, with Nick, Randy? Man, I love Nick, and I, I still miss him every day. Uh, he was he was one of those guys that you never walked away from a conversation without laughing or wanting to talk to him more. He, he always, no matter how bad your day was, all you had to do was go talk to Nick for five minutes and you would forget about your problems. Cause he would have you laughing in tears, like just one of those kind of guys. And, uh, you know, we miss him, miss him dearly here for sure. Yeah. I didn't mean to go there, but when you mentioned his name, just maybe remember the good times with Nick down there at uh, Finch's program. But so you, you're at the uh, RCR, you're at the two car, things are going along well there. And uh, you guys finished sixth in the points that year, I believe. Well, we, uh, yeah. So we finished out 2017 and that was kind of what you'd call the all-star car. It would be the car that uh, Austin or, Paul Menard would run some, Ben Kennedy ran at some. So it's kind of rotating seat in 2017. 
And uh, so we finished the year there. And then in 2018 is when Matt Tiff came over and took over the two car full time. And uh, so I crew chief for him that year, and we ended up finishing uh, sixth in the points. Um, had some really good runs. Didn't win any races, but uh, ran second a handful of times and, you know, just came up short a few times, but um, had a really good season with Matt overall. So, so you, that finish up good there. And I, I lead this next year into, because my little brother Kenny Herman, everybody knows him as, right. We're hearing you're going to work with some kid by the name of Tyler Reddick. Like, I don't really have any idea who Tyler Reddick is. I mean, I've seen he's raced a few times. And Kenny goes, oh, I run a bunch of dirt races against him in years past. But, he, you know, he's been around for a while. He'd done some trucks and that. All of a sudden, you guys come out in 2019, and bam, it, it looked like things clicked. Yeah, for sure. He, um, Tyler's a incredible race car driver. He grew up, you know, racing – Mike, 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 Vince, and this, that, and the other. And then he got into racing dirt late, but late, but late, but late. He started racing dirt late models when he was about 13 years old. And so um, he he's not scared of anything. And he gets in these cars, and he really goes. And moved over from uh, Junior Motorsports um, and came over to RCR in 2019, and we got paired up together. And um, it really worked out. Like, we went to, to running really competitive, set on the pole uh, for Daytona the first time out in the car. Uh, he was in the RCR car and uh, had a really good run that day, came up a little short, but ended up going on and winning, I think, six races that year, um, won the regular season championship, and then went on the win in Homestead, won the, won the season finale, and won the points uh, for 2019 Xfinity Series. And just one of those storybook kind of years you know everything kind of came together i think we had like 24 25 top five finishes out of whatever 32 or 34 races so i mean it was just one of those years that just everything went really well together so so what's it what's a guy that grows up in missouri just racing go-karts having fun gets his opportunity to become a crew chief in 2016 and then turns around just three years later and wins a NASCAR championship. I mean, what, what's it, I, I want to say, what's that feel like? What's that look like? Give me just the broad perspective. Now, I understand everybody's went through a challenge in their life to get to this point, but that's a short time to be a crew chief and then a championship crew chief. Yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of all came into play. It's kind of one of those hard, hard things to describe, you know, if, went through the early 2000s, you know, taking my lumps, you know, sweeping floors and working on dirt cars and, you know, going to college and just trying to put everything together and, and all the stars aligned and got placed with Tyler. And like I said, he's, he's incredible and good driver can make a, a crew chief look really good. So, um, you know, it, it just kind of all fell into place and been extremely grateful to get to the point where I'm at and, you know, we made the made the chase this year and kind of came up short this weekend. But you know, it, it's been a it's been an ongoing experience with him. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna end in a few minutes here this segment and come back with some other things that are really fun. But th this particular year, you guys uh, come down to the the race where you made it into the chase, just got in, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then unfortunately just got out a little bit. Well, what was that roller coaster of emotions like for yourself and the team? 
Well, well, we had been racing our, you know, our teammate for the past five weeks before the chase started, you know, like trying to get the last spot in the chase. And, uh, so that was a really ex- exhausting four or five races for sure. Um, barely made it in, you know, with a huge amount of damage on our car from Daytona. Um, Austin got collected in a wreck, you know, coming to the checkered and we, we skated by and ended up finishing fifth and with the whole car demolished. Man, you guys had a thing uh, destroyed down there, didn't you? And still had yeah. a good finish. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, uh, we had knocked the oil cooler out of it earlier in the race and had to come in and change some oil lines and bypass all that and try to limp our way to the end so we could, you know, try to get in the chase and, um, was able to do it. It was an amazing effort on everybody's part. And, uh, it was really cool to get in the chase. Um, you know, first time on my side on the cup experience, uh, being, you know, crew chief and chase, um, Tyler's first, uh, cup chase, you know, so, um, it was really cool. And we just kind of, just kind of didn't do what we needed to do. You know, we kind of came up short at Darlington, just didn't, didn't have that great of performance, um, which was really disappointing. And, um, Richmond was a, we kind of knew it was going to be a struggle. That was one of our Achilles heels there, you know, going into that place. We've, we struggled there historically speaking. Hey, can I, can I stop you there just for a second? What, yeah. what makes, you know, you, you said you weren't real confident going into Richmond. What makes a particular racetrack kind of a challenge to a team? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it comes from, you know, the driver style. A lot of it comes from how the crew chief goes, you know, approaches the setup and goes through the, all that and Richmond's one of those places it's just like different every time you go there it seems for whatever reason um whether it be a day race or night race is hugely different um it's just one of those places that's kind of just you just kind of chasing all the time and for some reason there's teams that get that place and they run good there all the time and for me I've never been any good like I've never had a good car at Richmond I don't feel like I think that was probably my worst track so um, you know, in Tyler's, he's still learning those places. Um, you know, Tyler really exceeds at like mile and a half. So he's turned into this amazing road course driver this year. Um, he's really good on, you know, the super speedway stuff. Um, the short flat tracks is, you know, something we're still working on in our program. And that's kind of our weaker link, I would say. And, uh, Richmond's just one of those places, man. You get just a little off, and it just will beat on you all night long. And um, so that, that's kind of been our mo at Richmond. We just kind of struggled there a little bit, and um, just haven't figured that place out yet. That's a good breaking point right there. We're talking to Randall Burnett. Very impressive resume. Crew chief on the number eight car for Tyler Reddick at RCR. Uh, so much more, though. We'll come back and uh, we'll put the bow on this package. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. One says record. Okay. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network. My name is Jeff Kent. Today's guest, Randall Burnett. Very impressed, very impressive racing resume. Current crew chief on the number eight car for Tyler Reddick at RCR. Married, four kids. And it says here, Randall, that your four-year-old son Tatum started racing uh, this year at Millbridge Speedway. He's four. Once again, Mike Wallace. He's four. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> he's supposed to be playing with Tonka toys and Hot Wheels and stuff like that. So uh, he's four. Yeah, he's he's still four. <laughs> and I'm just going to lead in and tell us about it. How do you get your son to race at four? And uh, I will have to add a little bit before that, and I need some backstory from you. Millbit Bridge Speedway over in Salisbury, North Carolina is probably one of the most famous little dirt tracks in our part of the country. It's got, you know, micro sprints and go-karts and quarter midgets and all that. And the crazy part about it, it's owned by Randall's brother, Jeremy. How about that? Randall, Randall, you fill in the blanks for a few minutes about uh, your son racing at four years old. How do you, how do you get Tatum up and running at that? And did he express the interest or did you push him into it? And a little bit about, uh, Millbridge that somebody doesn't know about. Yeah, so um yeah, so like you said, my son Tatum, he's four. And uh he's been a he's been a go getter since he's he's all boy. He's uh been getting after it for a while and uh, like you said, my brother owns Millbridge, so we've spent numerous nights up there, you know, during the week and going and watching. He's always expressed interest in it and um, finally we got him on this, this winter and kind of got him fitted up in it and we've been easing into it. Like we're still, we're still quite a bit off the pace. We run the, he runs a little cadet class up there with kids, you know, from his age on up to seven or eight. And, um, so he's definitely one of the youngest ones in the group and, uh, he's having fun with it. We, uh, we went up there last Tuesday and raced and, uh, he's getting a little better each time he goes. Here's a question for you, Randall. What does mom? Yeah. What does mama think about all that? What is she? How nervous is she when your four-year-old son gets in in the go kart? She's actually. I think. I think she handles it probably better than I do. Is that I, right? Honestly, I think she's less nervous about it. She's more like, "You got to hit the gas. You got to go." <laughs> and, I, and, and I'm like, "Okay, well, let's just like let's just teach him slowly here. You know, like." He's uh, she's like, no, you got to go. I didn't come up here to watch you putt around. You got to go. Got to go slow and, to go uh, fast. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I'd say she's the, I'd say she's the go getter out of the two of us as, as far as encouraging them. We we kind of jumped over your wife early on here, but let's bring her back. Was she a race fan when you guys met and become <laughs> husband and wife, or did you teach her how to like racing? No, she uh, she actually she grew up in uh, Columbia, I, South Carolina. I will let you know. I've seen a, a Facebook photo. You definitely married up. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. You're not the first person that's told me that. Um, so you met her where? And how'd you... So no, we met through some mutual friends. Um, she was never really. She never grew up around the racing uh, family or anything like that. She just uh, we kind of ran in mutual path and, and kind of got introduced from a, a friend of mine and uh, started dating and, and married several years later and now have a couple kids together. And yeah, she's, she's great. Great. So that, and I, I don't, this whole show's about you, Randall, but I I'm, I'm intrigued when you talked about your four year old son or the way Jeff brought it up because we're all parents or now I'm grandparents. It's got a four year old and I'm trying to think, okay, how do I get him started? And uh, we're following your career and talking about your career, but what are you going to do with Tatum? How are you going to, I mean, is a big push to get him through a series of cars or are you going to let him grow at his own pace or how's that going to work? Well, definitely going to let him grow at his own pace. He's, uh, he's interested in a lot of things. He's, he's actually, his mom's 
his mom's family's big into golf and, and her great grandfather used to play professional golf and this, that, and the other. So, she, so mom's got him in golf lessons too, as a, as a backup program, I think. So Boy, you should have seen Jeff's eyes light up when you said golf. It's like a couple of things. There's plenty of money to be made in golf. Okay. Yes. And, and it's a little yes. bit safer than driving race cars. Yeah. Well, Just saying. Yeah. 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 So didn't mean no, to interrupt he's, there. Uh, no, he's, He's doing good. He's uh, we kind of let him go at his own pace. We took a couple weeks off because he was, you know, getting getting going in school. He's in junior kindergarten now, and so uh, Jeremy, my brother, like we talked about, he owns Millbridge, and so they do this great program up there with kids on Tuesday night. Uh, a lot of young kids, and then uh, big kids go race on Wednesday night with their micros and stuff. And Jeremy and, and my sister-in-law Ashley have taken that place and. Uh, made it this amazing little racetrack that that's known all over the country and does a lot of big things. And, uh, you know, it's pretty funny, uh, you know, talking with you, Mike, about this before, you know, and my little brother, when he was probably four or five years old at the go-kart track in St. Louis to, to see where he's come to now with, with Millbridge and, and how he's grown that place. Pretty amazing. Jeff, you have to picture this and Randy, stop me anytime that I'm saying this wrong. When they were growing up and racing in St. Louis, Randy Randy at that time <laughs> was racing these fast little go-karts, and his little brother was just kind of like fee-thumping around him, you know, blah, blah, blah. You just, like he didn't care. He right. just, and you watch him, and now he's this incredible race promoter and track owner, and it's like, wow, did that boy change a lot? <laughs> well, they do grow up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he definitely got that from my dad, like, uh, my dad, when he started that cart program, you know, in, in St. Louis and helped grow that St. Louis Karting Association to, you know, 250, 300 members plus, um, you know, he, I guess my brother paid a lot more attention to that than, than what I did was just working on go-karts and trying to figure out how to make them faster. He was trying to figure out how to make money, I guess. Well, as we're halfway through the end of our segment here, you're um... – would it be if I say this right? I got to always think about. It. Is it your sister-in-law Ashley? That is yep. So I understand she's involved in Millbridge also. Is that right? Yeah, she's she's what we like to call the big boss up there. Jeremy does all the all the other stuff. She takes care of all the hard stuff. She's uh, she's really involved. Her and Jeremy do a great job of, of sharing the load, keeping that place going. Yeah. So Jeff, the Ashley we're talking about is. Uh, and, and I'm only mentioning this because of the family ties and how good they are. That's Nick Hoffman's sister, right? Nick Hoffman is like the baddest dude in the country in modified dirt modifieds right oh, yeah, now. Huh? Yeah. Wow. Am I right on yep. that, Randy? Is that how it yep, works? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, we're, that's enough of Millbridge. We're going to go back to talking about you because that's what uh, we're here yeah. for. But uh, thanks for giving that little plug and in interest on your son. So what would you advise people since you uh, – I know you grew up around racing. Your brother owns a racetrack. How would an average person get their, their child into racing? And is four years old a good age to start, or should they let them mature just a little bit more? Well, four years old is probably pushing it a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> as, we've, as we've found, it's like it's slow going. Um, you know, but I, I learned a lot from my dad when he took me racing. He never, he never pushed me into it. He always kept it fun, and it always kept me coming back for more. You know what I mean? And like, he wasn't one of the like little league dads that was all, you know, upset and fighting with people. Like, he's like, you want to go racing? We'll go figure it out. But he, 
you need to be serious about it if we're going to spend the time doing it. And and that's kind of what like I'm trying to instill in Tatum. Of course he's four, he's still four. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, but those are the kind of things that I try to try to teach him, you know, like, okay, like he kind of got aggravated a few weeks ago. So we took a few weeks off and I waited for him to come back and tell me he wanted to go back and go. And that's what we did last Tuesday night. He's like, dad, I want to go race. You know, okay, we'll go. So after all this, I'm listening and, uh, of course, having grandkids and having children, of course, much older now. But would you suggest this is a good thing for young children as a father and your wife as a mother? You know, we're, we're so kind of wrapped up in kids sitting at home anymore with Xboxes or video games or on their phone or something like that. I know I grew up around the racetrack, and it sounds like you your family's grown up around there. I mean, what do you tell what do you tell other adults, other mothers and fathers? Good place to come hang out, or what? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, you know. I think if you, especially up at Millbridge, with the with the great group of people that go up there, and I use that as an example because that's where we go. Um, there's a lot of tracks, you know, all over the country that you could find close to home, and go do this sort of thing, and. I think the the thing with the racing community in general is watching these kids grow up together. You know, it's, you know, it's similar to going playing baseball or, you know, pop Warner or whatever, but to watch these kids compete against each other and watch them grow together in the, in the relationships that they grow and it, it working on race cars and, and understanding the amount of effort that goes into that just to get to the racetrack it teaches these kids a lot of responsibility, how to treat other people, how to respect other people's property, you know, how to communicate with other people. It's just, it, it's a great thing. I think even if they're not going to be, not everybody's going to grow up and be a, a race car driver. Right. But it gives them tools to succeed in life. That's wonderful. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. So as we're going here, we're going to kind of wrap that part up. Let, let's talk about the week after Bristol, you guys, um, uh... We're in the chase, you're out of the chase, and now the goals for Randall Burnett and RCR and Tyler Reddick are to do go do what? Just win races, run good, you write the well, year I, off, or are you still hard at it? No, we're certainly hard at it still. So we can, we yeah, we got bumped out. We're not going to go to the Final Four. We're not going to go race for a championship in Phoenix. On the other side of that, we can still race our way up to fifth in points. Okay. So that's what our goals are, is to, to race our way as high as we can and try to finish fifth in the points. That's the best spot we can be in. And there's seven races left. We've got some really good tracks coming up for us. We've got Kansas coming up. Tyler runs really well there. Um, we got the Roval. He's been really good on the road courses. I'm looking forward to Vegas this weekend. I think we got a, we'll have a good car there as well. So we've got some good races coming up, got some good opportunities to put Tyler in victory lane in it. That's definitely priority number one, and and the other priority for us is to finish strong in the points and try to get to fifth. I have to ask you about Tyler, but only because you're his crew chief. You're the guy. He's well known in the racing world, at least the television world, of riding the wall. Is that something somebody has promoted him to do? Do you like him running up there six inches off the wall, or does he just go up there and make speed? Well, I love going to the tracks where he does it because it's impressive to watch. And it's uh, it's something else. I mean, he he has some incredible car control and, and usually is able to find more speed up by the wall than most anybody out there. And uh, it, it's a lot of fun to watch. Like going to Homestead, like 
I love going to Homestead with this kid. He is incredible there. And I wish we had a few more tracks similar to that where you could you could ride the wall and, and do things like that. You know, we, we we used to be able to do that at Chicago and a few other places. With this, you know, with this 550 package we run on the on the intermediate tracks now, it makes that a little more difficult to do um, just because you don't, don't lift out of the throttle near as much and they've got so much downforce. Um, so that's kind of taken, kind of, took that away from him a little bit, but I love watching that kid watch it run the wall. He is incredible. Jeff Kent and I spoke last week and I'm going to have you help us close this out. we got a few minutes left, but tell us about the, what do they call it? The gen seven car, the new car coming in 2022. Here's three questions for you. What do you think about that new style car is going to make racing better? And what do you think about going to the LA Coliseum to run an exhibition race on what's going to be a quarter mile racetrack. Well, so the Gen Seven car, um, it's going to be interesting for sure. Like I said, you know, like we talked on it earlier, you, you're going to take all your old notebooks and you're going to throw them out. It, this car is going to be completely different. It's coil over suspension. It's independent rear suspension. Like the there's just so much different about it that you're really not going to take any notes that you got now. Like it's got you know, bigger wheels, lower profile tires, like just everything's different on it. So it's going to be interesting to see how these teams adapt to it, see who can adapt to it the best and, and really take off and start strong next year. It's, it's going to be a, a winter. It's going to be a long winter of learning about these things and, and trying to get, in, trying to get a leg up on everybody. Will you have any opportunity? I know NASCAR put a limit on testing many years ago. Will you get to take that car anywhere during the winter? And has NASCAR got any tests for you lined up? Or can you do any private testing on the racetrack, not on simulators? Well, so, yeah. So NASCAR's got some tests coming up for it. Uh, they went to Daytona a couple weeks ago, um, did some drafting with it, smaller group drafting. I think there was eight cars there or something. Um, but they got they got that going. Um, we go to the to charlotte roval and do some road course testing after we race at the charlotte roval uh, with the cup series here in a couple weeks um we're also going to phoenix uh towards the end of the year um and i think there's a charlotte oval test in there as well and it sounds like they're going to bring back maybe go back and, and test in january for daytona again um kind of like what we used to do all those years ago when we would go test in january at daytona kind of speed weeks kind of stuff so um so that'll be exciting it's going to be a lot of learning a lot of a lot of data gathering for that so uh and trying to build up all your programs so you got some good good stuff to work on when you go into next season we're closing real quick here uh wayne's got red lights flashing let me tell him i'm done but i <laughs> i need the answer f that i drug on la coliseum just the quickest answer what do you think about going out there it's going to be interesting I think we could have done it at Bowman Gray, but, you know, we'd go, <laughs> right? we'd go out there, too. Yeah. Well, we were talking about that. And, Randall, I really, really appreciate you coming on the show today. And, you know, since knowing you since a little little guy, congratulations on all your success, continued success. Uh, let Tatum run that go-kart if he wants to. Have a good time. And, uh, Jeff, I think uh, we learned a lot about Randall today. I think we did. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, I really, I really appreciate you guys having me. It's been fun, Mike. I've so known you forever, so real honor for you to call me and, and have you on, have me on the show, and uh, really enjoyed it. You, you've been 
joined by Randall Burnett, NASCAR crew chief, and you've been listening to Shagging with Randall. No. <laughs> God, I'm glad you <laughs> threw that in there. I was trying to figure out how to throw that in there. <laughs> oh, this is uh, <laughs> Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. We'll see you next week from the Crosley Speed Sports Studios.